Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Connect the dots. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. This week, Donald Trump's life of fraud is on trial in New York. He and his lawyers, who really wish they were actors, would like you to believe that Donald Trump is the only victim. His grown sons testifying in court on a business they ran are, in the words of Alina Haba, children who have been taken away from their families. Contrast this with Israeli families whose loved ones are being held hostage by terrorists or the nearly 4,000 children who have been massacred in Gaza. Judge Ngoron just issued a new gag order extending to Trump's lawyers because his courtroom is under siege. The First Amendment rights of Trump and his lawyers are far outweighed, Ngoron says, by the need to protect his staff from very real threats and physical harm. Domestic and stochastic terrorists can wear suits. Don't be fooled. These events in New York, in Washington, the Middle East, are not occurring in isolation. We need to ask deep and honest questions about what is causing all of the suffering we're seeing. Who really wants it to end? And who stands to benefit from endless carnage and hate? The Israeli newspaper uh, Haritz puts the events of October 7th in the context of, quote, the criminal neglect of the affairs of state by an indicted prime minister who is feverishly preoccupied with finding ways to escape trial. The price, it says, is the destruction of the existential foundations of Israeli society and of the country. God, I hope this sounds familiar to you. This is exactly what Donald Trump has done and will continue to do with dire consequences for our nation, God forbid we ever give him power again. For men like Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump, self-preservation is the be-all and end-all. National security be damned. The result in Bibi's case is a human catastrophe, the scale of which is increasingly and rightfully appalling the world. For someone who so staunchly claims defense of his people, I personally would like to know why he funded billions of dollars to Hamas, the ones who he is now massacring civilians to eliminate. Likewise, Hamas launched its heinous attack knowing the blowback would fall on the Palestinian people. Kind of reminds me of the way Donald Trump used his supporters as human shields, deceiving some of them all the way to their own death on January 6th to keep himself in power. Terrorists and authoritarians do not care about their people. They care about themselves. Again, don't be deceived because some of them wear suits. I hope and pray that the silver lining to this unthinkable suffering is a true wake-up call, a change to the world's approach, and a real healing to generations of division. 
that we not just kill terrorists in body, but eliminate the hate they sow in spirit. That while condemning, forcefully condemning anti-Semitism, we also have the courage to reject Palestinian oppression and acknowledge how the far-right nationalism of leaders like Netanyahu is as antagonistic to Israel as it is to any of their foes. We have an opportunity here to understand who the real enemy is. It's not Muslims, it's not Jews, it's not Christians. It's the corruption of man, a temptation that can befall any one of us. We must stop allowing corrupt leaders, whether under the cover of ethnicity or politics or religion, to divide us for their own craven objectives, to use us all as human shields for their own ignorance and greed and fear. I'm so grateful today to be joined by someone who is a wealth of information on not just the Middle East, but American foreign policy, national security. David Rothkop, host of the Deep State Radio podcast, also author of, among many other books, Tyrant and American Resistance. Uh, David, I've been following you so closely, especially recently, and I'm so happy to have you here on Lights On. R really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. And I, I want to kind of just open up with, um, if you don't mind, unless you want to take this in, in any direction you'd like, a piece that you recently wrote in the Daily Beast, um, calling on essentially a ceasefire, recognizing that there is going to be a rift very soon between the Biden administration and um, and the state of Israel if this endless carnage does not end. Yeah, I mean... My, my sense is this, the Biden administration has had a very difficult task, which they have handled, uh, I, I think, extremely deftly. They have recognized that we have uh, an ally, that we must stand beside our ally, that that ally was attacked, that that ally has the right and the obligation of self-defense. Um, and they immediately stepped up on that front. From the beginning, they have also said to that ally, that humanitarian issues must take precedent, that the uh, uh, international law, the law of war must be applied, uh, that every step possible must be taken to reduce civilian casualties. Uh, and they felt, I believe, that by uh, standing quickly uh, beside the ally, that we would have the most influence possible with regard to the second set of issues. The problem is, and this is a moment that's fraught with emotion, um, that you know there is an impulse among many in the Israeli government towards um, uh, you know, the total annihilation of Hamas um, as a goal that takes precedence over everything else, um, uh, that total warfare must be waged against Hamas. Now, I do not, will not, uh, ever shed a tear for one dead uh, Hamas um, uh, terrorist. Uh, they, they, you know, if they are all eradicated, the world's a better place. Having said that, we have learned a lot about fighting wars against terrorism, uh, and uh, we have had in the United States decades of experience now with this, and we've learned a few things. One is. Uh, you can't uh, eradicate terrorist groups. You can 
decapitate them, you can weaken them, you can cut off their supplies of, of money and weapons, uh, you can render them uh, uh, useless. Uh, that can take a, a, a long time. Uh, but, you know, going after each and every last member raises the likelihood of uh, civilian casualties, uh, may be an unachievable goal. Further, Stan McChrystal, U.S. general, said that with every civilian that you kill, you end up with something in the neighborhood of 10 additional uh, uh, insurgents. And, and this, is a, this is a risk the Israelis run when they go in and they attack um, a location, for example, as they did uh, this week in a, a refugee camp, uh, and you have a lot of civilian casualties. The consequence is not just carnage to innocence, but it is uh, more uh, recruitment fodder for the extremist groups. Um, we have also learned that uh, it is best to wage a war uh, that it uses special operations, that uses covert operations, that provides sanctions against those who are funding these groups, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to just a, a sweeping wide military operation. Um, uh, which tends to, again, have a lot of civilian casualties. And so I think the Israelis are um, wrong on the substance of their approach. I think uh, the civilian casualties have already been way too high. It's about 9,000 uh, dead now in Gaza, um, which is, you know, five, six times the number of Israelis that were killed. Um, and um, it looks like that number is going to rise fairly dramatically. And so I think it's time for the Biden administration and Secretary Blinken was in Israel today, not only to push for humanitarian ceasefire, but to let the Israeli government know that if the number of civilian casualties uh, increases dramatically, if they do not appear to be taking on board uh, our comments about international law, that our policy will change and that they do not have a blank check from us. Uh, and I say this uh, because we have to put U.S. national interests first, and frankly, the policies of overkill do not benefit Israel. They do not benefit our ally. And one of the big problems the Biden administration has is that the government in Israel, the government of Benjamin Netanyahu, has been a bad actor in this. They are not a good partner. They have made this worse. They have been part of the effort to undermine peace in this region for a quarter of a century. Uh, and I think it's time that uh, uh, we treat them with the kind of skepticism that their record warrants. 100%. That's what I definitely have garnered. And you have been one person of many, but you have been a very uh, shining voice to me in really educating me about this conflict. I, I've been honest with the viewers of this program. Prior to the last, I would say, month, I was not steeped in the an understanding of the history of the conflict in the Middle East. I still am far from an expert, but I have been trying. I've been trying to educate myself. And, um, you know, no matter how much I read, I still come back, David, to 
um, just seeing this from a human perspective and understanding that this approach is not sustainable. Um, like as you touched on this concept of eliminating Hamas, um, th that could eliminate a terrorist mindset is kind of ridiculous to me. I mean, obviously this is this is sowing seeds of hatred and resentment that are going to last for generations because of all of the sufferings that the Palestinians have endured on top of years of suffering that they've already endured um, in, in not being a free society and having their rights oppressed. So, um, you know, the notion that you're by killing the bad guys that exist in this moment, you're going to eliminate that ideology without a sustainable solution for peace um, seems laughable almost. Well, laughable or not, we have a lot of experience to suggest it doesn't work, right? Uh, we went in and uh, we said, you know, we are going to wage a global war on terrorism. We went in after 9-11 uh, uh, and what happened? Uh, well, um, not only did we extend the war far beyond the boundaries it should have been within and into Iraq, which produced between half a million and seven, 800,000 unnecessary civilian deaths, um, the worst catastrophe in U.S. foreign policy history. Uh, but as of today, there are more terrorists in more terrorist cells around the Middle East, around North Africa, across parts of Asia, than there were on 9-11. Um, we killed bin Laden. We eliminated his particular cell. But ISIS came out of that. We thought we defeated ISIS, but ISIS is still around, and there's Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, and there's Al-Qaeda in North Africa, and so on and so forth. And uh, so we uh, embraced this kind of an approach, and it didn't work. Furthermore, um, you know, the Israelis have been pursuing a military solution with the problem in Gaza, with the problem in um, the West Bank for decades and decades and decades, and obviously it hasn't worked. Um, uh, you know, there was a, a moment, there have been several moments where a political solution looked possible. Um, November 4th marks the uh, 28th anniversary of the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. Yitzhak Rabin, uh, who was a, a tough Israeli general, uh, was uh, someone who um, uh, recognized that uh, uh, the alternative to warfare had to be peaceful political uh, solution, a lasting political solution, even if that seemed harder than achieving some of the goals of warfare. And, um, you know, the opponent of Yitzhak Rabin, when he stood up and he um, made the efforts that led to the Oslo Accords, and when he won the Nobel Prize for all of this, and when he created a moment where there seemed to be more hope than there is today, was Bibi Netanyahu. Five months before Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, Bibi Netanyahu was leading rallies in which the chant was, death to Rabin. Four months before Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, Bibi Netanyahu led a big rally that included a mock funeral for Yitzhak Rabin. The guy who's running Israel has been the opponent of the peace movement, for um, almost three decades. And it is time to recognize um, that that approach, which Netanyahu said would make Israel safer, obviously has not worked. 
uh, most of the people of Israel, eight out of 10 of the people of Israel, believe Netanyahu created the circumstances which left the country vulnerable to the attack of October 7th. And the reality is, uh, you know, that, um, you know, Netanyahu was also a guy who wanted to uh, have an extremist opponent to support his ideology. So he pumped money into Hamas. As you had noted, he helped prop it up. He helped to divide the government of the Palestinians between the PLO, which he sought to weaken, the Palestinian Authority, which he sought to weaken, and Hamas. Um, so he was responsible, much as we were, I would add, with the, the creation of um, what became Al-Qaeda. He was responsible for um, setting in motion the uh, elevation of Hamas that led to the events of the 7th, and he was distracted from those issues with his judicial reform. He was distracted from issues of security um, with his uh, uh, the criminal proceedings that are underway regarding him, and he was distracted because he wanted to focus on taking over more of the West Bank, mistreating more of the people in the West Bank. Does this absolve Hamas of responsibility? I very quickly want to say, no, it doesn't. What they did was hideous. Uh, what they did was war crimes. Uh, they deserve to pay the ultimate price for that. But what our goal needs to be here is, how, does our, how do we make our ally more secure? How do we make the region more secure? How do we have a lasting peace? And the answer to those questions is not a massive war with a lot of civilian casualties. Uh, it's not a war at all. It's a political solution, and that's what we need to be working towards. Yeah, I, I learned so much from your article, including, as you mentioned, this um, upcoming anniversary tomorrow of the death of Yitzhak Rabin. And um, I was reminded as you were recounting the story of how Netanyahu was part of those crowds chanting death to Robin before he was actually assassinated of these common threads, as I mentioned in my, my open, between this kind of um, extreme nationalism that says, you know, whatever their goals are at all costs, and this this MAGA movement that we have in our country that has very much embraced terrorist concepts, even, you know, going, threatening people, talking about calling for their hanging. We, of course, know of the hanging of Mike Pence. We had a new clip today that I thought was so uh, very much in line with this, in my opinion, or not opinion, I know this, completely anti-Christian concept of killing your enemies that is rises up under the guise of Christianity. This was on a podcast called Jesus guns and babies, um, some oxymorons in there. But this is with um, a woman who is an election denier and Harrison Floyd, one of Trump's co-conspirators in Georgia, um, discussing what, uh, what they have in mind for their political opponents. And we're gonna use strategy. We're gonna get offensive and we're gonna make them do that. And it may not be comfortable and they can resign if they don't like it. In fact, I wish that everyone would resign. That would be great. <laughs> Yeah, we, we need to do something similar to how the Magna Carta was signed. We got to trick trick the elite, get them onto the battlefield and let them know, oh, by the way, you're on a battlefield right now and you're going to go ahead and sign this piece of paper. We're going to go ahead and set some people free. If not, we got a chopping block over there. We can put your head on. So Hang it's up to you. String them, string them up. Hang them and string them up. Look, I, you know, it's hard to know where to start with these people. Um, 
they're vile, they're wrong, they don't understand history, uh, they don't understand that it was that Magna Carta that led to our Constitution, they don't understand that the constraints that uh, we have been, uh, you know, fighting to preserve, like uh, the ones contained in the Constitution and democracy, are the ones they're trying to actually tear down. They're involved in essentially a fascist movement where they seek to impose the will of a minority on the majority with force, if necessary, with lies, if necessary, power at all costs. Uh, and as it happens, um, that movement is driven, as you suggested, by certain extreme religious groups, uh, which is why many people refer to it as a Christo-fascist movement. People like Mike Johnson, who have said, who believe that there needs to be a biblical test for American leaders, um, but it, not just a biblical test. The people who should be leading America are the people who prescribe to their version of uh, an extreme uh, and, and twisted um, uh, subset of evangelical Christianity, uh, this dominionist idea that only people who adhere to their views uh, should be allowed to lead. Um, and it is, it is deeply, deeply frightening uh, because they have a lot of power, because Mike Johnson was just made the Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, because a, a lot of the base of Donald Trump that absolutely will not um, uh, 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 turn against him, regardless of how many political uh, 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 or legal um, uh, missteps he makes, um, uh, are, 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 are part of this small group. That's the, that's the core. Uh, the language in that, the, the, the clip you just played, should be chilling to every American um, because this is the language of people who are saying, we want to destroy the system here. This is yeah. the language of people who are um, advancing the principles of the coup that Donald Trump started. And if you think that that coup was something that occurred on January 6th, you're wrong. It's ongoing now. He is, he, every time he gets up and there's a rally, he's advancing it. When people like this get onto these, you know, those podcasts, like the ones you just showed, they're advancing it. Uh, when people try to, sh you know, gerrymander states so that a tiny minority can impose its will on the majority, when the Supreme Court supports these kind of views, they're advancing it. We're in the midst of a slow motion coup in the United States. It is continuing to advance. And for all our efforts to reverse it, um, uh, we have not stopped it. No, it's gotten much worse because of the mainstreaming of the lies, the failure of this party to, instead of reject Donald Trump, to fully embrace him. I mean, if you're living under any um, you know, belief that Mike Johnson is running the House of Representatives or that Tommy Tuberville is the sole senator holding up military appointments, um, you're sorely mistaken. This is Donald Trump, the mastermind behind all of this. Um, he is running that house. I remember, I don't even remember the names. There were so many in that, that you know, debacle of a GOP uh, election of speaker. But, you know, the last one before Mike Johnson, Trump comes out and says he doesn't, he doesn't like the guy. Before you know it, he's out of the running. This was a 
100% Donald Trump appointment. And for all of the, you know, I have David serious issues with um, Mike Johnson staking a claim to Christianity because as you mentioned, his version, it sure as hell isn't my version. It's actually antithetical to my spiritually inspired understanding of the Bible. Um, and actually the establishment clause itself uh, that separates religion and government for me is founded in an understanding that you cannot inject, you cannot allow men to put their corrupt spin on religion and make it use as a means to govern. It's it's just, it's they understood the corruption and that is why we have the establishment clause. So, you know- Well, they, 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 they were all fresh, you know, from the, the forces that led to the founding of the United States. And the forces that led to the founding of the United States were a lot of people leaving Europe, leaving um, the UK particularly, but other parts of Europe because of hundreds of years of religious violence. Yes. They said it, the founders in their writings said it. They said, we did not wanna repeat those mistakes. That's why the word God does not appear in the constitution of the United States. Contrary to the notion of the Mike Johnsons of this world, most of the founders were deists, which was a prevailing movement at the time, which said God exists, God created the universe, but once God created the universe and created natural laws, things took off on their own. They did not believe in what Jefferson would refer to as magic. Jefferson wrote a note to John Adams uh, uh, not too long before both of them died in which he said that he very much hoped that some of the the, the 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 mythical stories, the magical stories in the Bible, would be um, consigned to the same views that we had of Aesop's fables, uh, that they would not be seen as serious. Well, the Bible uh, is full of allegory. It's full of allegory, and it's full of um, I, I mean, it's full of contradictions too. Well, I mean, in the Bible, the, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I mean, there's well, that's right. In the Bible, look, I mean, we, there there are religious sensitivities in all of this. Yeah. Um, in my view, uh, and I think history bears this out, uh, the Bible was written by men who had an agenda, uh, and whichever part of it was uh, divinely inspired that you may believe is divinely inspired or not, there are a lot of parts of it uh, that, that, that clearly were not. Um, but quite apart from the Bible, quite apart whether... Yeah, what I was saying, David, is that I take the inspired word of the Bible. In other words... I read it from an inspired perspective. I don't read it from a literal perspective. Well, and I think that's good. I mean, that's healthy, right? Mike Johnson doesn't. He thinks the world <laughs> is 6,000 years old. Yeah. He, you know, he he believes that two of each kind of animal got onto a boat, you know? <laughs> and 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 that kind of stuff is a little bit difficult to believe. But let's let's just say, and that's what they would have said, Everybody has their own views. Everybody should practice those views within their own home. Absolutely. People should not impose those views on one another. And Absolutely. explicitly, That's early, early in the days of the United States of America, a treaty was signed between the United States and another region of the world in North Africa, in which the language was drafted, first approved by George Washington, and then uh, the treaty got ready to be signed after he left office, so ultimately signed by John Adams, which said the United States is not a Christian nation. They said it and set it into the law. It's not a Christian nation. That doesn't mean there is no place for Christians. It should be a home to all yeah. denominations. And that was something 
that, uh, you know, uh, there's a famous letter from Washington uh, to the members of the first uh, Jewish community in the United States saying, this is a country that is opening space for everybody to be right. themselves and not it's to secular. impose their views on one another. Absolutely. And, and that's why Jefferson, you know, referred uh, uh, to a wall being erected between church and state. It's so crucial. It's so crucial because, you know, like you said, we have to respect one another's views, religion or no religion. You have no right to define what my religion is. I have no right to impose my religion on you. This is not the role of the state. And I just, you know, I could play another clip, but I think a lot of us have seen it at this point of Mike Johnson telling Kaylee McEnany that he's going to go into the chapel every morning and uh, ask for the Lord's guidance (laughs) on what to do. And I put out there yesterday, I mean, if Mike Johnson's really asking for the Lord's guidance, um, in my opinion, he would be rejecting the GOP and calling it out for the idolatrous cult that it is, because it has in so many ways completely um, blasphemed the intent and teachings of the gospel. Um, from idolizing Donald Trump to demonizing immigrants to stripping women of their rights. I could go on and on and on. So, um, you know, the notion that even, even the notion, you know, I, I understand the perspective from non-Christians who are like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want, you know, to be in a Christian nation, but I, as a Christian, I'm like, well, wait a minute, this isn't even Christianity. So let's be clear about, you know, he doesn't speak for you. He doesn't speak for me either. Well, look, I'm Jewish, but so I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak about interpretations of of Christianity uh, beyond. All saying I'm this. saying is that they they use. I come from the perspective, David, of having been deceived by these people for years of being in the Fox News propaganda machine, where they put up a flag and wear a cross on their neck, and you think because of that that these are genuine people of faith that actually are practicing that this is this in i think at the is at the root of what has deceived so many people well and and there is language to that effect in the bible too if i'm not mistaken yes. that the people who <laughs> pray stories. who pray in public are 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 not to be uh trusted yeah. and you know there is a lot about the teachings of jesus about elevating the poor about showing compassion to the to people who are ill about showing compassion to strangers and foreigners and other kinds of people um, uh, um, uh, 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 about um, practicing kindness as opposed to um, violence and, 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 and so on that, in my view, make Jesus, you know, the most woke guy in history. Um, but he's definitely very, very awake. Definitely, right. yes. Right, and, but nothing, <laughs> you know, sets off the right like saying that. Um, uh, and and you know, that's the problem. The problem is their hypocrisy. My yes, problem exactly. with calling out their hypocrisy, <clears throat> which you know, Democrats and you know, progressives and everything, everyone, oh yeah, they're hypocrites. Is they don't care. You know, they've stopped caring about it. You know, calling Donald Trump a hypocrite, calling Mike Johnson a hypocrite, they're not hearing us. Uh, You know, they have to learn not the lesson of of their own failings uh, as as people or their own character flaws. What they have to learn is that this approach that Donald Trump and the MAGA movement are prescribing is a political loser in America. Because only if they start losing election after election after election, as they have, will political leaders move on to something else? 
Um, if this works for them, and it works for a lot of them in Republican primaries, which is why this continues on, then they're going to keep doing it. Uh, so uh, we, we can have a spiritual discussion, but at the end of the day, power politics is what's going to determine whether this movement lives or dies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, losses, um, political losses and judicial accountability. Those, I don't think one right. without the other, we need them both. So anyway, we're, I'm going to get into more of these um, very necessary, if difficult topics with you after a quick break, David. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from sinking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. Lomi has helped me turn my home into a climate solution. Now I can transfer my organic waste into nutrient-rich Lomi earth that I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits in your space perfectly. Cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with an all-natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. All of my food scraps, plant clippings, and even leftovers I may have forgotten in the back of the fridge can go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. So <clears throat> not to turn too much to your religion, but I, I must say I'm very grateful to have you here today as a Jewish American. As I understand it, your parents escaped the Holocaust. Am I right about that? My dad did, yeah. Your dad did. Okay. I'm, I'm very grateful to have your perspective um, <clears throat> because I think you can offer so much clarity kind of going back to the situation in the Middle East. Um, I've heard you say, uh, speak about the importance of distinguishing between um, anti-Semitism and justified criticism of Israel. And I know so many Jews, um, hundreds of writers put out a, a, a piece signed onto an open letter um, calling for a ceasefire and um, rejecting the silencing of of condemnation of Israel. And, and I know that, or I think that you have echoed these, these sentiments of separating criticism of, of Israel from anti-Semitism. Um, can you talk a little bit about this, especially in light of you know, some of these heinous things that we see happening to Jewish students where they're being threatened? Um, this obviously is hate that we must condemn. We also have to have a safe space for criticism. Um, can you talk a little bit about this, David? Sure, and uh, you know, let's begin with <laughs> all hate is bad. So, you know, I mean, anti-Semitic hate is bad. Uh, Islamophobia is bad. Racism is bad. There is no place for it in our society. We ought to move to try to contain it, as, by the way, the Biden administration is doing with very significant initiatives to fight anti-Semitism, very significant brand new initiative to combat Islamophobia, the first comprehensive such initiative uh, uh, that we've ever had in the United States. But... Um, you know, we get into situations like this, and 
It's a very heated moment. And I understand the passions of the moment. I understand the passions of those who are outraged by the biggest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. And I understand the passion of those who uh, 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 commiserate with, feel the pain of the Palestinian people. And each time uh, you know, a Jewish baby is, 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 is killed or each time a Palestinian baby is killed, uh, it is natural that it incites passion. Um, and we should try to find some empathy for the people on both sides, not the terrorists, not the bad Israeli government, but for the people on both sides. Exactly. We need to be able to separate between governments yeah. or uh, political groups and um, the people Pete, on the ground. trying so hard to get to on my open. <laughs> well, You're no, and, and, and you, did, <laughs> you, you, you did get to it. But, you know, I, I, I have had this bizarre experience where I would write something like, um, let's not kill a lot of innocent Palestinians. Seemed pretty, you know. Straightforward. Uh, <laughs> straightforward to me. You know, let's stick within international law. Let's 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 be reasonable here. And I would get people starting to come back at me and saying, well, you're an anti-Semite. And I would go, well, that's strange. My father is a Holocaust survivor. Forty members of my family were killed by the Nazis. I'm Jewish. My children are Jewish. I have a grandchild. He's Jewish. Um, you know, I'm. You know, I'm, you know, it's hard to hard to sort of stomach the idea that somehow I'm anti-Semitic. But there has been a cynical appropriation of some of the most inflammatory language here in order to advance political views. There was yes. a woman on Fox News who said, "If uh, you are a socialist, you're an anti-Semite." Uh, there was a former Israeli senior official who said, "If you call Hamas militants instead of terrorists." You're an anti-Semite. This devalues the real underlying Meaning crime of, of anti-Semitism, um, right. and uh, uh, it, you know that uh, may serve some some people's purposes. Uh, and 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 the right has has also sort of manufactured a mythology here, which is the left is anti-Semitic. Because progressives may care about what happens to Palestinians, they are anti-Semitic. And I draw a big distinction. You know, you've got to be able to draw a distinction. If somebody's going around tearing down the pictures of Israeli hostages, that's an anti-Semitic move. Sure. If somebody says, I want to go find the Jewish students and I want to taunt, tout, or I'm taunt them, or I want to uh, you know, beat up on them, that's anti-Semitic. And we should call it for what it is. But if somebody says Bibi Netanyahu um, has been promoting, uh, you know, apartheid, yeah. um, you know, that's not anti-Semitic. Yeah. And and I have been I've been accused of being anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist because I don't think apartheid is a good system of government. And I think you know I have these old-fashioned American views, right? Yeah, I believe in separation of church and state, which is antithetical to a core view that in Israel. But I also believe that the legitimacy of a government um, uh, uh, emanates from the consent of the governed. Uh, and that means if there are people within your borders who are not giving their consent, who don't have a vote, as the people in Gaza or the people in the West Bank do not, um, then the government is fundamentally illegitimate needs to fix that. 
Does, do I believe Israel has a right to exist? Not only do I, but it actually does exist. So let's set that issue aside, right? Of course. What, 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 we, what we need to be able to do if we care about Israel, if we care about it as an ally, if we care about it because we're Jewish, we care about it because we're Christian, because we're we human, care about it because, we're, because human. we're human, is that it should be a fair and equitable society. Yes. And as we would promote democracy anywhere else, we should promote democracy there. And if there are flaws in it, we should encourage them to fix it. And if they do something on the international stage that we find reprehensible, we should call it out because it makes it less likely that they will do it again. And that may make them more secure um, than uh, a, you know flailing about in a warlike stance. Amen to that. Amen to that. And you know, as I was doing my research. Um, <laughs> It's just been like an endless an endless rabbit hole for me. But as I was doing my research, um, I tripped on this article about how the anti-Semitic far right fell for Israel. And we, of course, know that in so many instances, the, the far right in our country has turned a blind eye to anti-Semitism. Um, there are other openly anti-Semitic leaders like Viktor Orban um, of Hungary. And yet he aligns with Israel because of their shared nationalism. And this is another thing I was trying to get to, that this kind of exclusionary anti-immigrant, um, often rooted in misogyny, uh, brand of nationalism is, is, um, is something that plagues, that can plague all people and is plaguing um, people across the world right now. It has nothing to do with what these people may claim is their actual religion. They are susceptible to the temptation to, to hate and demonize their neighbor um, and to kind of embrace this exclusionary hateful nationalism that I think at the end of the day, like you just mentioned, is actually harmful to their own national security. Well, look, there are several things at work here. One, there's a kind of global movement that you've mentioned Orban, you could mention Putin, you could mention yeah. Bibi Netanyahu, you could mention Bolsonaro in Brazil, you could mention um, Narendra Modi in uh, India, you yeah. could mention uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, here. Uh, you know, this is a movement that is ethno-nationalist. This is a movement that says, yeah. there's a core group of people to our country whose identity is essential to the identity of our country. And anybody who is not part of that group of people is a threat. So we are anti-immigrant, we are anti-diversity, we are anti these other groups. It is an old nationalist trope that has been used for thousands of years. Uh, it is ugly, uh, it is founded in racism. Uh, and the right-wing movement, the MAGA movement in the United States with white supremacists, with neo-Nazis, uh, and so forth, uh, is part of that movement. And they, that's why they embrace people like Orban or Putin. There is another movement, which is the evangelical movement, um, which has a view uh, that in order for their world image of, of, of where things are going to uh, unfold, uh, in order for the end times to come, Israel must be controlled by the Jews, um, and uh, they therefore promote it. Uh, and, you know, there are a number of people in high places, Mike Pompeo is an example of one people, who have publicly said they believe in the idea of the rapture, a moment where at the end times, uh, good Christians are raised up to heaven and everybody else is left behind uh, to uh, unhappy fates. In other words, uh, they need Israel in order to make their way to heaven. By the way, 
it doesn't turn out so well for the Jews in the end. It's not a pro-Jewish um, position. Now, does Bibi Netanyahu know that? Yeah, he knows it. Does he care? No, he doesn't care. Um, nope. he, he just nope. thinks it gets him political support. Uh, and that's why Netanyahu threw in with the Republican Party, with Donald Trump, even though it alienated 80% of the Jews in America who now vote Democrat. They don't, they don't, they are on the other side from him. Uh, he is not a, you know, he casts himself as the leader of the Jews. He's not. Uh, uh, he is uh, an expedient politician who will go with whoever supports him, even if the very principles that they embrace are ones that are, are antithetical. Right to the the reasons Israel was founded, uh, and in fact, we're the, the you know a, actually at the root of the horrors that ultimately led to uh, the need to found Israel. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many. You know, we could we could talk about the how as we have how Netanyahu was trying to do everything to avoid his own criminal prosecution as he's under indictment in Israel. He's also been really eroding. Um, I, there's been such an erosion of democracy, not just with the judiciary, but with silencing of criticism. I was doing more research. One particular article I found about victims on both sides of the Israeli-Palestinian kind of conflict seeking peace spoke about how Netanyahu's government has been banning peace groups from giving talks in high schools, something that they did for 20 years. Um, police have been breaking up peace rallies and imposing fines on participants. I mean, at the root of this is this anti-democratic strain. Um, you know, the same way Donald Trump has tried to silence and and censor his critics, just as he claims that his First Amendment rights are being violated, and how you know the GOP and the fascist arm of the Republican Party is trying to ban books, and you know erase history out of our schools. Um, these are the same threads. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, uh, uh, you know, it is easy, however, for them to say, "Oh no, we are." We're just following our religious beliefs, or we have high principles, or we answer to God, or you know whatever. And and again, that's that's what, that's what people like this have done for a long, long time. Uh, and it's you know it's maybe effective po politics, but it's sacrilegious, it's hypocritical, um, and it's profoundly dangerous. It really is. I'm looking up right now, David, this uh, quote I have on my phone from The Godfather. Um, I think, see if I can find it quickly. Here we go. Men listening to their own selfish desires and calling it God so they can justify anything. I feel like it really applies to all of these people. Yeah, it does. And, 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 you know, I, uh, it's been so since the dawn of time, you know, yes. the crusades were fought for these reasons. Religious wars have been fought for these reasons because somebody stood up and said, you know something? I'm closer to God than you are. I understand what God wants. You don't understand what God wants. Follow me and let's kill the people who don't believe um, uh, let's kill the people with alternative views. Uh, let's subjugate the people with alternative views, uh, because we are 
better than they are, or they are a threat to us. Um, and it's the story of all of human history. It's the thing that the founders of the United States were trying to escape. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that is the thing that we continue uh, to uh, dodge and, 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 and ultimately contain within the United States. Uh, but I have to tell you, it's not a sure thing. You know, the next election is going to be very close. It's going to come down to a handful of states. The people in those states are talking about God with one hand, but they're gerrymandering with the other. They're putting in place voter um, suppression laws with the other. They are uh, encouraging the justices that were, uh, you know, put into place by the Federalist Society and the Supreme Court and elsewhere in our system um, to uh, um, subvert efforts to, uh, uh, you know, uh, cleave closer to the Constitution. Um, and uh, it's it's only going to take a few thousand votes in a few states to determine the next election, because we've seen, you know, Joe Biden could win by seven, eight million votes in the popular vote, but the the national, you know, uh, electoral college outcome might be determined by a couple of tens of thousands of votes. They know it. They're working that side of it too. So they're, they, they may be hypocrites, um, but they're also they're calculated, super, very calculated. Super, super pragmatic. Absolutely. And, and we, cannot, we cannot overstate the impending danger of a second Trump term. It is the end of democracy if we see it. Earlier this week, we heard the reporting about Donald Trump wanting to install, you host the deep state radio. I know you've clarified this concept, this this false notion that I fell prey to for so long that there was this corrupt deep state that was damaging us all. Well, I'll tell you about a friggin' deep state. It's, it's what Donald Trump is gonna install in our government if we give him the reins of power again. Well, the, you know, you know, uh, I, the last book I wrote, American Resistance, was a book in which I went and talked to a lot of people in the government uh, who were in the Trump administration. And I said, um, uh, you know, uh, what did you learn? What did you fear? And, you know, almost to a person, they said, I fear the next term because Trump understood that there were a you know, large number, a majority of people who were in the US government who took an oath to the US Constitution, not an oath of loyalty to him. And he hates that. And so he's got a plan, uh, and I talk about it in the book, and people have talked about it since, to fire as many of the high-level people in the US government who are not political appointees, who put the Constitution ahead of personal loyalty, fire perhaps 50,000 of them and replace them with loyalists. And that would be a real deep state. That would be a group of people who would not be answerable to the population of the country, that would be answerable to one man. And that is a fascist nightmare. And he talks about it. And other Republican leaders talk about it. They embrace it. They say, yeah, we want to rid the, the country of people who take their oath of office to the Constitution and to the people of the United States more seriously um, than they do their political allegiances. It's, it should, it should chill, chill everybody right to their core of their bones. Yeah, and as I, if I, if I, I have repeated numerous times on this 
show, David, I know some of these people. I worked with them in 2016. They are the most dangerous people. They have no moral guardrails. You should be scared to death of them entering the government again. And I want to just take one minute to acknowledge um, the, the case that's going on in Colorado, the disqualification lawsuit. Um, today was the first, or not today, this week was the first week of that trial. Um, Eric Swalwell testified, Capitol Police officers, national security experts on the behalf of the plaintiffs who are being represented by crew. Um, yesterday, Katrina Pearson and Cash Patel, who is a you know loyal foot soldier of Trump being paid by his PAC, testified for Trump. Um, I think that this is an extremely important case. I think that if we don't, I have heard the political arguments against enforcing the 14th Amendment. I've also spoken to the constitutional experts, Lawrence Tribe, the lawyers at Crew, who understand the duty to enforce it. If we get ourselves, God forbid, to another Trump presidency and we realize, and I, I say this hoping that judges are hearing me, that we did not fully avail ourselves of our constitutional protections to keep this man out of power after he has already betrayed, as you called him, been a traitor to our constitution, we will deeply regret it. History will not look back kindly on those choices. Absolutely. Look, the first thing you do when you're president of the United States, you take an oath, you put your hand on a Bible or a Quran or whatever it is you believe in, and you say, I promise to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? That, that, that um, is where we start each presidency. But if Donald Trump became the president of the United States, we would know that he does not pledge to preserve, protect, defend the Constitution. He's already said he wants to change the Constitution, not through constitutional amendment, but unilaterally on his own. He is an enemy of the Constitution. The reason that the 14th Amendment includes language that says people who participate in an insurrection cannot hold high office is for just this reason. They've already demonstrated that they are opponents of our system and they should not have any place in running it because it puts the system at risk. Donald Trump puts the system at risk. I've heard people say, oh, you know, there will be a backlash against this and, and we shouldn't enforce this law. Nonsense. It's for the same reason people say, well, Donald Trump should not be given a gag order in these courts. People will say it infringes on his First Amendment rights. Nonsense. The message we need to send is no one is above the law. The Absolutely. message we need to send is we are a nation of laws and not of men. And, uh, you know, that is something that we are perilously close to losing right now. I hope those cases go well. Colorado, Michigan, there are other states where this yep. is going to be, be heard. Uh, yep. Minnesota. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not super optimistic that they will go well. Uh, and ultimately, it's going to come down to voters at the ballot box who are going to ultimately have to say, no, we reject it. Yeah. We saw January 6th. We believe what we saw with our eyes and not what you were saying out of your mouth. We know what you were opposed to. Um, and, you know, there may be a lot of reasons. If it's women saying, I want to preserve my right to control my own body, or if it's, yes. you know, uh, LGBTQ people saying, I want to preserve the right to be with the person I love, or it's uh, a mother who says, I would want to uh, raise my child in a country where they do not go to school fearing. Uh, the consequences of uh, 
uh, somebody with an assault weapon, a weapon of war entering their school. I, I think those are the issues that are yeah. going to win the election in 2024 Absolutely. for Democrats. But the I don't real, think we- The real freedom platform. <laughs> right, right. And 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 because people know that those rights are, are On not line. only threatened, they've been stripped away. And, yeah. and, and it's time to stand up for them. But again, we can't be complacent. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe if we can just take a minute before we close, David, we've we've got the we've had the Jew the Jewish perspective from your side. We have some of the Christian perspective from my side. I kind of want to, you know, take a minute for our Muslim friends, my Muslim friends who I have so much empathy for, both the um, Islamophobia that they're enduring, as well as their outrage over what is going on in Gaza. And I share that outrage. I really share it. The more I have learned about the people of Gaza and what they have suffered and um, their plight, the more um, just disgusted I am by what they are enduring right now. Um, but, you know, this has been something that's come up, David. A lot of Muslims have, say they will not support Biden. They will not vote for him again. And I, and I guess my message to our Muslim friends would be, my God, please understand the alternative is so much worse. Um, you know, Donald Trump would support the eradication of the Palestinian people. He would uh, reinstate the Muslim ban. He would ban refugees from coming into this country. Um, Biden is an ally of humanity, all humanity. Uh, the alternative is dire. I, you know, you, you invited me here to <laughs> offer my views, but I can't put it better than you just did. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, let's just, you know, on, on closing on a note of action, speaking of the stakes and all those freedoms that are on, on the line, we've got two huge elections coming up next week in Ohio and Virginia. The whole uh, House of Delegates of Virginia Assembly is up for election. Democrats have a real chance to take that back. Um, the governor in Virginia, uh, Mr. Um, Zipper Vest, has indicated that he would sign an abortion ban if Republicans had control of the legislature in Virginia. That would Virginia is one of the last holdouts in the South that um, where abortion is still legal. This is a real attack. Um, on on women's rights, and you know, please get out and vote if you live in Virginia. I'm from Virginia. Virginia is for lovers, so let's be lovers of democracy. Also, Ohio, some very um, important ballot initiatives protecting abortion rights. Issue one, yes, on issue one. So, to our friends in Ohio and Virginia, please definitely um, get out to the polls on or before next Tuesday. Absolutely right. These are critical elections, um, and in the Virginia election. I still am not 100% sure Donald Trump's going to be the candidate for the GOP because I think he may encounter some legal difficulties or he may respond to the legal pressures he's under in a way that may ultimately uh, cost him the candidacy. Uh, and Glenn Youngkin is one of those people who's in the on-deck circle, uh, and he may be wearing his uh, little fleecy vest, but uh, he is every bit as dangerous Yes, uh, and I, I, I think it's super important for people to recognize the issue is not Trump, it's the MAGA movement, it's mm -hmm. the extreme right. Uh, yep. It is much bigger than any one person, uh, and it is vitally important that people turn out at the votes at the polls and vote down these initiatives and vote out the people who are representatives of these parties, by the way, as they have in the last couple of uh, elections and in the interim elections, uh, that will send a message that will ultimately get people 
on the Republican side to wake up and go, oh, we got to find another way. This way of hate, of cutting back on freedoms, of attacking the Constitution uh, is not a political winner for us. Uh, most of these people are super pragmatic. Uh, many of them are not really principled people. Uh, you have to send a message that the only approach that works is an approach founded in decency and law and the Constitution, uh, in some of those old-fashioned values. And uh, uh, you know, we can argue it all we want, but the 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 way they will believe those arguments is in the results at the polls. Hundred percent. Let let us let us make that case. <laughs> So um, thank you, David. David Rothkopf, so much for joining me today. I hope everybody will check out your books as well as your Deep State Radio podcast. Um, you're welcome back to Lights On anytime. You definitely um, gave me an education in more ways than one today, and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> well, thanks for the invitation. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I welcome the opportunity to continue it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wanted to leave you all um, just with a, a couple notes. Um, as I mentioned, I've been doing so much you know, research on the history of this conflict and looking more into um, the people of Gaza and the West Bank, also the history of Israel's struggle for a, um, a home. And I just wanted to share, you know I'm an animal lover, I wanted to share some photos of one of the sole licensed animal rescues in Gaza. This is called the Solala Association. Um, and do we have those pictures we can pull up of this animal rescue operation in Gaza? There it is. Um, this, this heroic man takes care of cats and dogs and donkeys and horses. Um, he's full of love and compassion and giving. He is one of many, many countless people in Gaza that are human beings, as we've tried been trying to share, that are not terrorists, um, that care about living beings, all living beings, care about humanity. Um, just as I hope that, you know, we all invest in an ed education about what happened in the Holocaust and the oppression of the Jewish people, oppress oppression of people all over the world. I mean, my God, maybe we can talk sometime about the genocide in, in the Congo. I mean, there's so many things that we can, um, be more aware of, to have more of an understanding that we're all human beings. We're all human beings. When we have that common understanding, um, the horrors that we allow ourselves to validate, I think, greatly decreases. We are all much more similar than it seems on the surface. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. As always, uh, I've got an ongoing legal battle with Donald Trump trying to defeat these dark forces. Um, these dark, corrupt forces. And if you want to support that, you can do it at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. We need your help. And we are so grateful for your support. Um, as always, thank you for joining me and my guest, David Rothkopf. Thank you to our sponsors. Have a wonderful weekend and let your light shine. <laughs>